0: You are listening to the Grace Covenant Cornelius podcast. Hey, good morning. How's everybody doing? Good. Good. It's great to be back with you at Grace Covenant uh, Church. Pastor Farrell has been a friend. As you could just see, and a mentor to me for a number of of years now, he's hunted with me on two occasions in Wisconsin. And by the way, thank you for that warm welcome. That was a Wisconsin guy. I don't know if you realize that, but we have a fleet farm 10 miles from my house. That's kind of like a Lowe's meets co-op meets ag country, whatever you can find for your farm. Uh, But he's yet to invite me to Arkansas to hunt with him. And I'm not at all bitter about that. Um, Shannon and I have also uh, enjoyed getting to know Charlotte over the years. She had our little monkeys over to the pool a couple nights ago. And Farrell threw three of my children from the shallow end into the deep end for over a half an hour. Um, There was a line waiting for him. You all have been truly blessed to have uh, such a father figure and shepherd for multiple decades, such amazing servant leaders. So if you would agree with me, would you just applaud your senior <laughs> pastor and his wife? <clears throat> Shan and I had plans to get here last year, and COVID kind of wrecked those plans, um, I was last here two years ago, and I'm delighted to report that I have actually gained a lot of credibility since the last time I was here, because I turned 40 in March. True story. So society seems to think that you just flower when you turn 40, and and why would I correct everyone? I mean, that seems silly. I'm going to milk this thing for the rest of my life. So I was naive and immature uh, last year, but apparently since March, you know, wisdom just flows out of me like a river. Uh, So I'm happy to bring the word to you today. Here's a picture of the Burris family. So this is uh, my main squeeze here, the beautiful blonde from Wisconsin, Shannon. Shannon. And my oldest son, Levi, is on the left. Miles is our second born between she and I. And Nora on uh, the right, our third born. And then our baby, Caroline, she's three years old, ten ten to three. Um, They're so funny, Caroline, our three-year-old, we were on the way to a a splash pad yesterday. Uh, Any parents familiar with those? Yeah, we visit them frequently. We've been to three in five days since we've been in North Carolina. And she's just singing. She's, this is her new thing. She's singing, but she mixes up the lyrics uh, to different songs as she's learning how to sing. So yesterday we heard from the car seat in the back, Jingle bells, jingle bells, jingle all the way. Old McDonald had a farm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, hey... And so she's learning, and uh, they're just, they're just uh, a blast. So happy Father's Day to those of you like me who are going to squeeze your kids uh, today. And to you adoptive dads and foster dads and father figures, you have such a, an instrumental role. So treat yourself today. We can applaud our adoptive dads, our foster dads. They're a big deal. And the last thing I want to say for a housekeeping measure is that in my spirit, uh, I just worshiped so hard this morning. Anybody like to worship flat out? I mean, we're like from the land of the Nords and Swedes, you know, and everybody is stoic and reserved. And And this morning, in my spirit, while I may not have appeared to be worshiping hard, I was just worshiping hard. I just love entering into God's presence, and the music was was so uh, excellent, and we were having a worship night in Wisconsin about a month ago, and I worshiped so hard that I pocket-dialed three random people. <laughs> you know that sway thing we do? Do you, do you guys do that here where you sway? That's about as far as we get in Wisconsin is the sway, okay? I was just swaying, and everything was cool until this guy from Milwaukee... Started singing along with me from my pocket. That's where things got a bit awkward. So we created a policy no pocket dialing in corporate worship. And uh, we filed that out. I'm just teasing. I'll I'll make a note not to say that line in the next service because nobody laughed. So today I want to uh, laugh a bit up front because it's more of a serious subject matter uh, that I hope to engage. Uh, I want to talk to you about shame this morning, if I may. We sang a lyric during worship, no guilt, no shame, no sin, no stain is greater than the great I am. Someone once said that we lie more in the songs that we sing than we do in the words that we say. How many of you truly believe that no guilt, no shame, no sin, no stain outweighs the grace of Jesus Christ? Amen? Amen? Amen. So he's available to us. You can leave today with a clean conscience. His mercies are new every morning. There is no greater feeling as a 40-something who's got, not, you know, not a, a, a past that I'm, you know, I wasn't some, some hell raiser, but I've made a lot of mistakes. And to know that they're covered by the goodness of God is such a freeing feeling. And I hope everybody leaves with that feeling this morning. So would you allow me to pray before we get into today's message? Heavenly Father, I just ask that you would help us today. Helper, Holy Spirit, Paraclete. Teach us, Lord, that we are forgiven, Lord, and help us live out that reality, that profound truth. God, I just pray that um, as the, the darkest things that we've done continue to live residually like sediment in our minds and hearts, Lord, that you would just wash all that away this morning with your grace. In the powerful, mighty, awesome name of Jesus, amen. Amen. If you brought your Bible with you to church this morning, turn to Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8. I'm going to be reading from the ESV, the English Standard Version. I think the truth is that a lot of us have experienced shame, not just a few. And oftentimes, shame is confused with embarrassment, but embarrassment is not shame, and shame is not embarrassment. Not too long ago, I pulled off from a gas station in Wisconsin, and I didn't realize that the nozzle was still in my car. Don't act like you haven't done that at some point in your life. And so uh, luckily nothing uh, happened. The the hose wasn't damaged. The pump wasn't damaged. But there's this little part in the, in the uh, kind of housing where the nozzle goes into my car that got damaged. And so uh, my vehicle now thinks that my tank is full when it's not full. Translation, I can put about eight cents in my vehicle at a time before the pump clicks off. So not only was the initial event embarrassing... But every fill-up thereafter when I've got people on the adjacent tank is embarrassing. You've heard of a double indignity. This is like a recurring indignity. And so that isn't shame. That's embarrassment. Anybody here ever been embarrassed by something you did? Okay? Uh, Shame is far more serious than having to fill up your vehicle at, at eight cents a shot in front of others. Shame has often been confused too with guilt. Uh, Some think that shame is is like this extreme version of guilt, uh, that that shame is guilt at its worst. Uh, Guilt, after all, is feeling bad about something that you did. Um, And many feel that shame is feeling really bad about something that you did. But that's not even shame. Shame's altogether different than embarrassment. Shame's altogether different than guilt. Uh, Guilt, certainly if left undealt with, can perpetuate and turn into shame. But here's the real difference. Are you ready by way of introduction for a definition? Guilt focuses on the what and shame focuses on the who. Can you say that with me? Guilt focuses on the what and shame focuses on the who. Guilt says, I did something bad. Shame then says, I am something or someone bad. And often shame gets triggered by these things that have nothing to do. With choices that we ourselves have made. For many people, shame comes from what has been done to you by someone else. Um, You were abused physically, sexually, um, completely out of your control. Maybe it's due to some part of your physical body that you are not proud of, or haven't been happy with, or have been saddened to. Discover, Uh, maybe you've become ashamed due to infertility, for example. Maybe it's some weakness, like an inability to play some instrument or some sport. I remember getting cut from the middle school basketball team, and that was in Mount Pleasant, North Carolina, which is a very small community. So you know you're bad if you get cut from the Mount Pleasant middle school basketball team. And for years, I carried shame. Shame. Because I said, I am a terrible basketball player. And I would repeat that to myself. Um, So so what is shame? Shame is this deep inward sense that we are flawed. That something is in disrepair. That you are unacceptable. That you are dirty. Shame says, I'm defective. I'm damaged goods. I'm broken. I'm ugly. I'm impure. I'm unlovable. I'm I'm pitiable. I am unwanted. And if you're in that place this morning, I don't think you really need to think critically on whether or not that's you. I think you know it. You know you have those thoughts. Because you replay them over and over and over again. You know you shame yourself. It is your habit. It is your hobby. This has become part of who you are. And and what I want to share with you today is that by the amazing grace of God, this no longer has to be a part of who you are. By the powerful work of Jesus, um, he's freed us from that if we'll accept it. And I'm going to get more to that later. Uh, for, for many of us, others have, have tried to even control us by shame. Your parents, uh, your friends, your boss, some teacher, a pastor, even. Hopefully, not here. I know not here. This is the South, though, and, and we have something here that's been documented, it's been researched called a shame honor culture or way of life that has affected many generations. Someone may have tried to make you feel so bad about yourself that you would do whatever they wanted or whatever they needed you to do. So they weaponize shame And this is a shame-based motivation. And Brene Brown, a researcher, she has one of the top five TED Talks that was specifically on shame. She says this shame-based motivation works, at least in the short term. And she cites a study done at a college campus in which participants in the survey about campus life were given a chance to cheat the researchers out of some money. And some of the surveys read how common is cheating on this campus, which is more of along a guilt line of thinking. And other surveys said how common are cheaters on this campus. And that was the only Subtle difference. And those who had the question framed in terms of cheaters, an identity question, had a much lower rate of stealing when it came to that opportunity during this research project than did those who simply identified it in the paperwork as cheating. In other words, the people who thought of cheating in terms of something they did were a lot more likely to steal than those who thought about cheating as an identity, as someone who they they were. Ultimately, Brene says, shame is a devastating way to motivate. In the long term, it's horrible. Shame can lead to a desperate perfectionism. If you're a one on the Enneagram, you know this all too well. Someone motivates us through shame, and we try to overcome the feeling of shame by being what? By being perfect. We don't want to admit failure. It would confirm our deepest insecurities about ourselves. And so if we perform and if we exceed the expectations that we have uh, on ourselves, we can then say, I did it. I proved something. I exceeded the expectations. Therefore, I have worth. We don't want to admit failure. Shame can lead to to harsh criticism. People who suffer from shame point out uh, weaknesses in others that they also see in themselves. You've probably heard this said. It's hurt people who what? Who hurt people? Right. And shame also produces a sense of of helplessness. People who deal with shame, they, they of course, forecast the worst. And and, and they're never going to like me. And we will never have a good relationship. And this, too, must fall apart. And the worst is, is assumed or projected because deep down that person believes that he or she is. The worst. So today I'm going to read you a story about a woman from the scriptures who experienced shame. And we're going to see how Jesus completely delivered her in a moment from it. And my prayer is that there is healing in the house this morning for those of you who struggle with shame. Luke 8 verse 40. Now when Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him, for they were all waiting. And there came a man named Jairus, who was a ruler of the synagogue. The woman I'm going to tell you about, her story, it doesn't begin with her. It begins with this guy named Jairus, who was very well respected. He was one of the top positions in his city. And then the text reads, And falling at Jesus' feet, Jairus implored Jesus to come to his house. I'll add that grown men in Jewish culture would never fall at someone's feet. They were dignified. They walked around in, in stately robes. Uh, They'd never want to project that they didn't have anything together. And, and this very respected man who's, who's reached his wits' end falls down at the feet of Jesus, throws himself on the ground. He would never appear hurried, but he's hurried now. And falling at Jesus' feet, Jairus implored Jesus to come to his house, for Jairus had only a daughter, about 12 years of age, and she was dying. And there was a woman, okay, so this is the story within a story. This is where the second story begins who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years, and though she had spent all her living on physicians, she couldn't be healed by anyone. Uh, Having a, a, quote, discharge of blood was exactly what it sounded or sounds like. It was a polite way of saying that she, her body was producing this uncontrollable menstrual, Flow. And that is about all that I'm going to say about that. Okay? Um, If you want to discuss that more, uh, email me. My email is feral at gracecovenant.org. F A R R E L L. I will say this about it. Um, This means she's not only sick, but this means that she also would have struggled with debilitating pain. And so she's in quite a spot, both physically, because of her condition, and emotionally, because in all likelihood she could not have children, and socially, because according to the Jewish custom, she would have been declared, what, unclean, which means she was an outcast. For 12 years, an issue of blood means she had been living in, in isolation for 12 years. Years. This means no church on Sunday mornings. This means no prayer at the altar. This means no friendships. This means she was untouched. People would not go near her. Fathers on Father's Day, imagine what it would be like if you went without an, a hug from your children for 12 years. Mind you, she can't flip on Hulu or social media to find some kind of connection to society in her isolation. She doesn't have as much as a Facebook friend. She doesn't have as, as much as an illusion of friendship. And all of her hopes for life, all of her hopes for marriage, all of her hopes for childbearing, all of them seem over now. Luke, a doctor who's telling us this story, Luke uh, is cluing us into the truth that according to the practice that are available in this time, I'd assume we have some some medical practitioners in this room of of all types, uh, that she was... Incurable. No one could, could, could help her. And, and to make matters worse, the text reveals that she's also penniless because she spent her entire fortune trying to find somebody that could help her. Luke tells us this. We, we read it. And, and I'll give you one last observation from the text. She's nameless. We don't know her name. We have a story couched within a story, and we know the first guy's name, but we don't know hers. Jairus, isn't it interesting the contrast between these two characters in these two stories? Jairus is respected, this woman is rejected. Jairus is a household name. She is a Recluse, a gyrus, has a daughter who is the apple of his eye. Though ill, he loves Father's Day. And this woman doesn't love Father's Day. Father's Day is a reminder of her emptiness. And by the way, in the story you see illustrated what keeps different kind of people from accessing Jesus, um, what keeps people like Jairus from coming to Jesus is usually what? It's their affluence. It's it's their pride. They want to be self-sufficient. They don't want to appear as if they're lacking in any way. And a lot of times it takes a tragedy, a true tragedy, like a job loss or a health scare. Worse, a dying daughter to get a man like Jairus' attention. It's through these things at times God gently wakes people up and and maybe that's what's happening with you right now. Maybe God is saying in this season, you know what, Jairus, you really don't have it all. You need me. I care about you, Jairus. You business owner, you CEO. You man or woman of influence. You're not self-sufficient. And it's not that this woman is is the same. The thing keeping this woman from seeking Jesus isn't her pride, obviously. It's not her affluence. What's keeping this woman from seeing Jesus? She's ashamed. And, And she's ashamed... And it's led her to despair. And it's and it's not that she doesn't know that she needs Jesus' help. It's that she doesn't think she's worth Jesus' help. Let me say that again. It's not that she doesn't know she needs Jesus. It's that she doesn't think she's worth Jesus' time and affection. And, and she wants... To, to touch him, because in touching him, she won't have to confront him. If she just sneaks up in this clandestine, ninja-like way, she'll be fine. But if he sees her, then surely the man of God won't heal her. Of course, this isn't reality, but this is what she's thinking in her mind. So she, she parts the crowd... Crouching down and, and, and ashamed. And what I want you guys to see is this woman biblically illustrates every single one of us. Last time I checked, the verse that my late grandmother quoted for memory is still in Romans 3.23. Everybody who knows it, quote it with me. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That includes those of us here today who identify with Jairus. That includes those of us today who identify with this woman. It includes those of you who feel like you're doing quite well. It includes those of you who had a hard time getting out of bed. We're all diseased from sin. And our sin produces shame. And their shame causes us to want to hide. There is nothing new about this reality. Is this not what happened in the Garden of Eden? Sin? Shame? Hiding from God? Here's this woman's dilemma. Let's see what happens next. We'll just read it. She came up behind Jesus and touched the fringe of his garment. I'm sure you're wondering, when is this sermon going to turn a corner? When's this preacher going to get a little happier? This is the moment I'm going to get a little happier. She came up behind him and she touched the fringe of his garment. The Gospel of Mark adds to this account. Mark tells us this lady had already heard about Jesus, which led her to try this bold, crazy stunt. Malachi in chapter 4 had even prophesied that even the wings of his garment would bring what? Healing. Amen. So she's thinking Jesus is my solution. Legend had it, if she touches Jesus, she's going to be healed. But here's her dilemma. If people see her out in public trying to touch Jesus, they're going to scorn her. They're going to shame her. And and Jesus, the holy man, would most certainly send her packing, or so she thinks, so she gently clutches his robe, thinking maybe, just maybe, something is going to happen. Verse 44 And immediately her discharge of blood ceased. Is God awesome or what? Isn't that fantastic? Immediately her issue of blood ceased. And Jesus said, asked a strange question. Who was it that touched me? Let me ask you something. Was he God or wasn't he? Of course he was God. He knew exactly who touched him. Right? Um, why is he asking this question? And here's, a, here's an interesting possibility. Have you ever had your kid sneak into the cookie jar? And your kid comes up to you with melted chocolate chip and crumbles of cookie on the corner of, of, of his or her mouth. And, and you said, honey, I noticed a cookie or two missing. Did you eat it? And what do they always say? Of, of course they're not going to admit it, right? So, so they deny it. See, it's not that you didn't know who ate the cookie, right? You are giving your son or daughter an opportunity, an opportunity to step out in courage and be honest. In asking this question, it's quite possible that Jesus was saying, woman, identify yourself. After 12 years of isolation, Jesus was saying, I just healed you physically, but I have something far better that I want to do inside of your heart. I want to heal you of your shame. And that's not going to happen until you step out in courage and declare who you are. And so, this is what happens. Peter steps into the conversation, as Peter so often does. And he says, Master, the crowd's surrounding you. Of course, crowds are, are pressing in. I mean, Peter has this ability to respond in the most profound of moments, in the most profoundly stupid ways. <laughs> Jesus, anybody could have touched you. This is, this is a crowd. You can almost hear Jesus say, thank you, Peter, for that amazing level of insight. <laughs> then Jesus said, someone's touched me. Because I perceive that power went out from me. Church, this wasn't a touch. This was a touch with faith. Um, there's a big difference. Lots of people come to church on Sunday mornings wanting to touch Jesus, there's always a crowd, right? Aside from the COVID era, of course, but now the crowds are coming back. There are a few people who are here reaching out in faith this morning, needing a true touch from Jesus Christ. Pharaoh's already talked about it in his little between the, the songs talk. You're here in desperation. You need Jesus That's a whole different level of touching the Lord. And when the woman saw, verse 47, that she was not hidden. Now, notice that the woman did not tremble when she was physically healed. This is what got the biggest response from the woman. When the woman saw that she was no longer hidden, in other words, she was a member of society like everybody else. She was freed from her shame. She came trembling and she fell down before Jesus and she declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him. She started yelling to the top of her lungs in this public display of affection for Jesus that she was healed. And you're not going to shame me anymore because I've been touched by Jesus, I'm free. Not only from this physical condition, I'm free from the weight that has been crushing me of my past. One of the more popular uh, movie musicals in recent memory is called The Greatest Showman. If you haven't seen it, you need to see it. It's uh, the the Burris family doesn't really buy DVDs, and this is one that we bought. Um, It's just fantastic. the music, the dancing, the storyline. Brilliantly done. And it's a story that brings to life this internal struggle of shame from uh, from being employed by the circus. Okay, just so I'm not living on an island here. Has anybody seen this? Seen this film? Okay, a few of you have. Awesome. Awesome. So there's this one lady in particular, this, this bearded lady that, that the producers really allow us to get close to in the film. And... And she has, Letty is her name, and she has this breakout moment that that, that I see so synonymous with this story in Luke chapter 8, where she sings this breakout song declaring that she's freed from her shame. And this is some of the lyrical content. I am not a stranger to the dark. Hide away, they say, because we don't want your broken parts. I've learned to be ashamed of all my scars. Run away, they say. No one will love you as you are. But I won't let them break me down to dust. I know that there's a place for us. For we are glorious. When the sharpest words want to cut me down, I'm going to send a flood. I'm going to drown them out. I am brave. I am bruised. I am who I'm meant to. To be, this is me. Look out, because here I come. I'm marching on to the beat I drum. I'm not scared to be seen. I make no apologies. This is me. Have you ever wondered what it would be like when you get to heaven and all of your sins are revealed? Am I the only one that that occasionally keeps up at night? Do you want to know what that moment's going to be like in heaven where you lock eyes with the Father? Look at verse 48. And Jesus said to her, what did he say? It's Father's Day. What did he say? Daughter. Notice that Jesus didn't call the shaming, or the nameless woman rather, stranger. He didn't even call her ma'am. And in one of the most stunning addresses in all of Scripture, Jesus uses a word that you would never use with somebody that you just met. And Jesus calls the bearded lady of his day, daughter. Jesus didn't let her see steal her miracle in secret because as much as he wanted to heal her he knew that what she needed most was her this is me moment a moment in which she declared emphatically what is true I am accepted I am clean I am pure by the grace of God I am wanted I am loved I am whole I am clean. I am forgiven. I am cherished. I am treasured. I'm the joy of His eye. And I just wonder if anybody here today hasn't heard those words in a while. I just wonder if you may have been shamed by others. I just wonder if you may have even shamed yourself. And here's my invitation to you. I'd just like to ask if there's anybody here, daughter or son, I know this story is about a woman, but this invitation is for everyone. As much as Jesus said to her, Go, your faith has made you well. This verse is quoted often. and it's right here in the story we read today. Your faith has made you well. Go in peace he wants you to leave here this morning having verbalized that you're free from your shame he wants you to leave here this morning needlessly saying I'm over it I'm over my shame in order to diffuse it of its power because it's had a hold on your life It's shaped the way that you parent. It's shaped the way that that you uh, are a, a husband or a wife. It has colored your existence. Somebody this morning needs to sing about your past abuse. Somebody this morning needs to declare that you are not what was done to you. Amen? Amen. You need to speak out about being bullied. You need to tell somebody in your life group or, or, or whatever you guys call groups of Bible study and prayer at Grace Covenant how you feel about your infertility. When our thoughts of of self-doubt, our insecurities, our fears are exposed in the light of Jesus Christ, shame's power is snapped. It's broken by his goodness. I'm going to give you an opportunity to take the first step right now. If you have been needlessly ashamed in your life, I'm going to invite you to stand and I just want to pray over you. Typically, I get a little more riled up on a Sunday morning. Praise the Lord. Go ahead and stand. Join this bold gentleman at the front. You've been ashamed, uh, both men and women. Some of you have been victimized, been wounded, hurt. You've carried this with you. You've worn it like a big suit of clanky armor. The story was about a woman, but the invitation is, is... for everyone would you just bow your heads with me actually let 's do this don 't bow your head you 're worth it let 's just in this response look up toward heaven toward your heavenly Father, declaring who you are in Christ in confidence. We boldly approach his throne amen Heavenly Father we just we just ask you this morning, Lord, that you would Strip us of our shame. Everybody here, standing or not, deals with this to some degree. Lord, you have declared that we are free. Lord, you have healed us, not only of what motivates or induces our shame, but of the shame itself. Lord, we bury it. We put it to death through the blood of Jesus Christ. Lord, we trust that we are worthy in your eyes. You've called us son. You've called us daughter. You're madly in love with us. Lord, we just pray for clean consciences this morning. We just pray that we will not lie in the words that we sing, but will accept and forever so that we are forgiven. That nothing is greater than the great I am. We adore you, Jesus. Love you, Lord. Thank you today for this great gift of stripping us of our shame. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 You may be seated. For more information on Grace Covenant Church, our service times, ministry opportunities, directions, and more, visit us at gracecovenant.org.